You're listening to The Podcast. For grain merchandisers, by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good-humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half-truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is The Elevator's Cut. Hello and welcome back to the next edition of The Elevator's Cut. I'm Roger Gaddis. And I'm Jason Wheeler. And today we have a special guest. Who do we have, Jason? Yeah, today we have uh, Scott Hardy joining us who is was instrumental in both Roger and I's careers to start in the grain business and has, and taught us a lot of what we know. We've learned a lot from, from Scott and uh, we're glad to have him our, as our first guest we always thought this podcast could could uh go places and have pull big name guests and you know we've done it we've arrived there we are so we're glad uh we're glad scott's here so uh scott hardy uh i guess it give us a little introduction and tell us about how how the heck you got into this uh grain merchandising world well it's good to be here today i uh uh i did take a big chance on both y'all and I, i think it turned out okay um, yeah, the, the grain business for me was, uh, not, uh, not something I entered into, uh, thinking, uh, that that's what I wanted to have my career as certainly, but, uh, I, uh, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, which was Christmas vacation. Grain elevator wanted to hire somebody and there wasn't anybody else to interview. So, uh, <laughs> I went down and actually I looked like, uh, out of the university, I looked like I was the uh, chosen one. And, um, uh, so I got into the grain business and I realized right off that, uh, I was working for a company that was losing money. And I thought, hey, surely somebody would, could teach us how to be in the grain business. And they said, there's some guy in Florida that teaches after I searched around and went to a conference here and there. And people say, there's some guy in Florida named Don White that could help you. So I got hooked up with Don and, um, um, that's how my career got started. And it was really fun to, to sort of the first adventure out of the box was to, uh, turn an elevator around and, uh, uh, it was fun. And, uh, it was funny. It was so, uh, one of the, one of my marks on it was that back then we didn't trade few, uh, options at all. There wasn't any options trading It was 1983. And, uh, but, uh, it's a lot like today in the fact that uh, I approached uh, working with the farmers from a standpoint of uh, seeing how many different kinds of uh, alternatives I could give, give the farmer. I think I had, you know, 15 or 20 different ways they could market their grain. And uh, it was uh, it was just a way to confuse the whole thing. But uh, anyway, um, uh, that was kind of my mark on the grain business when I first started. And then I... Uh, I ended up uh, actually through the 36 years I've been in it, 16 of it has been with uh, pretty major uh, uh, feed feed companies and uh, general line feed. I I went through the uh, boom and bust of the uh, aquaculture uh, business, and uh, most recently I've, I've been involved in some some big things in the poultry poultry industry. So uh, it's kind of it's kind of my career, and and uh, it's been a it's been quite a ride. Well, rest assured, the the 
you know, dozens of ways to confuse farmers with marketing hasn't gone away. It's a, <laughs> right. That's a, it's a lot that's of well. <laughs> I, really, I really understand that. You know, it's, it's like, it's like nothing ever changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing new under the sun. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we were talking, we had a conversation a little earlier today about some of the things you'd seen over, over that period of years since the early eighties and, and some things have changed. Some things have stayed the same, obviously, but you know, Taking a step back to 1983 and looking forward and the things you, the, the industry was talking about happening and what the future of the green business looked like, what's your thoughts on that? Did things come true? Did, did we realize the, 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 the Jetsons reality, if you will, of what it looked like? Yeah, I've always uh, used that uh, analogy of the Jetsons because uh, they say that most of the things in the, in the Jetsons cartoon was certainly a uh, uh, have come true, and uh, except for the flying around bit and i think that's coming i can't wait i hope i live long enough but um the uh, uh all that said i remember back in the in the day that there were all of these predictions about what's going to happen to american agriculture and how we were going to feed the world and how much of an influence china was going to have on the world and how technology was going to change and yields were going to increase because of all the that was uh, all the breeding programs and uh, actually Roundup Ready soybeans were just coming coming uh, out. Uh, they were still growing foundation seed and actually I got involved in some of that because I was in Arkansas uh, via the Heart Seed Company that actually developed the Roundup Ready. So uh, I understand it. So anyway, there was all these great changes that were going to take place and thinking back on that, I, I think they came true. I mean, most of them really came true. I mean, China's a huge huge player in the uh, in the markets and technology made a huge difference and yields have have uh, grown and grown and grown and and you know we went through we went through what I thought was like the end of the world in 1996 and uh, uh, we, we ran out of grain more so than we've ever probably ever been out of grain and uh, I paid uh, six dollars and 25 cents for a load of corn for one weekend and i thought nobody's in the world has ever paid more than six dollars and 25 cents for <laughs> a load of corn and uh, i had paid three dollars and 25 cents for oats too and i thought that was, this is just so off the charts i didn't want anybody to know it I was so <laughs> i was so scared but um uh, and you know that that went on the world the world went on and the world always going to go on whatever problems we have today and uh so all that said, I think that the changes, uh, life has gotten easier. There's no, there's no doubt life has gotten easier. Uh, you know, we were buying feed ingredients. So there's no such thing as a cell phone. Uh, we actually, I, I was, we used to take box phones to the golf course, you know, <laughs> if we wanted to play golf one afternoon or something, you know, we'd, we'd dig this big box and put it in our cart in case we get a phone call. But, uh, you know, all of that and computers and just all of the technology is was just, just makes it so much easier and uh, i used to uh i used to uh get up at night and worry about things and my wife would i'd putt in the uh, speaking of golf i'd putt in the living room and she'd come in and say what ingredient is it tonight you know and uh, <laughs> like oh it's rice meal <laughs> rice rice meal feed or something you know i can't get it and all that so it was, uh, but so the world's an easier place and, and there's probably, uh, but I still think that things that haven't changed is I really think agriculture is a relationship business 
And uh, as much as people try to take technology and 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 use it, uh, you know, buying and selling, uh, buying and selling from the farmers and selling it to the users, and you know, through the years. I've developed lots of friendships and had lots of strange experiences and everything. And if it was all done on a computer, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be near worth it. And I mean, even today, it's a relationship thing. I think agriculture is one of the few, few businesses left that's really a relationship type business. One of the things uh, with you is you've, you've always been in the business since 83. You've always got a lot of stories to tell. You, I know you've taught Roger and I a lot just through different stories you know it's easy to get up and draw things on a board and teach fundamentals of basis training but but uh it really sticks with you with stories so i i've heard lots of good stories and you know big reason why i wanted to have you on the show to to tell some of those but um well you were just talking to remind me of, of a story that that you've told before but you well you've as you said you, you've been uh you've been on the end user side you've been the elevator side and of course you've been on and are similar to what what we do now, well, you've worked for White Commercial as well and helped helped people in the business consulting and big picture planning projects. So you've seen pretty much all the sides and got a lot of things. But one thing you were talking about golf and everybody, a lot of people in this business obviously either deal with margin calls and that are, you know, a headache or a fear or people just hear about them so... I hear that's bad and I never want to be involved in, in having a futures account or whatever it may be. So I know you have a great story about golf and relationships and, uh, and, and margin calls from back when you were, we, you were the, what the biggest wheat mid buyer in the world at one time. Well, like I don't that. know about that, but I was, uh, uh, I had Cargilling and, uh, ConAgra tell me at one point that, uh, uh, that was their biggest customer. So. We that was our primary agreement. We had nine big feed mills throughout the South. So, uh, yeah. But uh, the the story I'm I've thought about that you were alluding to, and and it's worth talking about is I I got involved. It was it was a big co op, and and uh, you know there's lots of aspects to uh, using futures, and uh, uh, there was a seed aspect, and there was a petroleum aspect, and uh, trading petroleum was was. Uh, uh, fun because uh, farmers wanted to lock in uh, fuel prices. And I remember, this sounds so funny now, but I, I remember back, I think it was in 93. Is that when the Gulf War happened? Uh, the, I think 93 was the Gulf War. And uh, I, was selling, uh, I was selling fuel to co-op stores and subsequently their farmers. And, and uh, I was just selling it. And it was, I could pretty much buy the rack at even uh, two under or something like that. And I was selling this stuff at seven and eight over. And I mean, that's monster, monster margins, uh, uh, for, for a diesel fuel and, uh, heating oil as they say. And, uh, but I was, uh, I was, I wasn't going to try to buy anything off the rack. I was just going to take it as it, as it went along. Cause I was, I owned this basis. And so anyway, what I did was accumulated a whole bunch of long futures. Basically, <laughs> basically I'd price it with the farmer and buy futures. And, and, uh, the company at the time, uh, had bought another company and, uh, they were, they had a bridge loan that they'd run out of. And, uh, the, the SEC, as usual, the government got involved and it slowed everything down, you know, slowed progress down. And, and, uh, uh, 
we were essentially out of money. I didn't know it at the time. And I had this gigantic long position. And I thought, well, you know, if the, if, if Bush, uh, drops a bomb on Baghdad, this market's going to go through the rough. And anybody that was around in those days realized when he dropped that first bomb, the market went limit down. And, um, I had a $700,000 margin call, which was a lot of money in 1992. And it's still, uh, still a reasonable amount of money. It's a reasonable amount of money, but uh, uh, I had been there several years and, you know, had developed a friendship. And when I went down and told them I needed $700,000, they laughed at me. And uh, they said, uh, we don't even have money to make payroll next week. We don't know what we're going to do. And that gets back to the relationship thing. Uh, I had... Uh, I had played golf with some petroleum guys that uh, uh, when they asked me what I, I did, I told them I basis traded grain, but I helped with the petroleum department. And that's why I got to play golf with them that day, you know. And uh, the guy said, well, explain to me what we did. And he was very curious, which I think is a really good trait in everybody is being curious. And, and uh, so uh, he was real curious and very polite to me. And he listened to my story. And, he, you know, he said, you know, I understand what you're saying. He said, Most people wouldn't understand basis trading in the petroleum business back then. But he said, I understand what you're doing. And he said, that's a great idea. And it's so helpful to the farmers and all this and everything. So uh, when they told me I couldn't have my margin call money and I was scared to death, I called him and I said, hey, you remember he was, he was a supplier. He basically had access to, uh, um, to uh, refineries. And uh, it was, uh, I guess we can say names on here again. It was Mapco. I mean, they were Mapco Patrol, I'm not sure who they are today, but they were awesome people. And uh, anyway, I told him, I said, I have a $700,000 margin call and I can't make it, but I'll be glad to buy some fuel from you if we can exchange futures up at the top of the market. And uh, and you make my margin call for me and I'll, and I'll basically pay your margin call in, in basis, better basis for you. And he said, uh, what kind of number do you think you want? And of course, I was anticipating buying two under and... He, I, so I just said, how about two over? And uh, which that still left me about a nickel in, in my margin. And he said, he, is this long pause? And he says, give me 15 minutes. Holy moly. That was the longest 15 minutes of my life. And uh, all that said, he came back and he said, yeah, we'll do that. And I went, walked down the hall to the CEO and I said, no problem. I got it covered. He said, I know you could do it, Hardy. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know I could do it, let me tell you. But uh, that, that was one of those things. But I always think this is another example of relationships because if I hadn't played golf that day and hadn't talked to people about what I did and things like that, I would not have gotten that help. And uh, we would probably, I don't know what would have happened. It was uh, One thing I do know has happened is I probably lost my job and all my friends would would probably lost mm. their jobs too sure. you know so wow uh, that was crazy but anyway i mean lots of margin call <laughs> stories i guess you could go go through a lot of that but uh that was uh that was probably the most uh mentally taxing so there you go if you, so if you ever have big margin calls you you better have been golfing with people <laughs> yeah i don't know what this moral of the story <laughs> is uh, call scott we'll we'll get his contact information to you if you got a big margin call he'll he'll think of a way out of he, it you know most of the time there is solutions to things oh sure i mean there's there's solutions and you know i i think one of the things where it's really hard to get education you, you got to almost educate yourself to the trade rules you, you just you know, that's what that's why I was thinking of as you were saying that, you know, how many people know that of all the people that exchange futures every day on sales and purchase stuff, know what the rules are on exchanging. It's 
anywhere that contract's ever traded is possible if both sides agree to it. Right. Yeah, and the life never of the hurts contract. to ask. You know, if you, you know, if you've got a big, say, you know, this happened a few years ago in in uh, one of the rallies, big rallies, 08 or twelve or something like that. But you know, had big corn and, and bean position both uh, long the basis, so short futures. And I couldn't get the poultry guys to exchange on forward sales for harvest. And this was in May or June. So no, no go there. But on the bean side, I could. I could lay off some of those. And so I called one of my buyers, uh, happened to be down in Tulsa, down in Catoosa, and said, hey, can we exchange on this? And yeah, and I, you know, again, never hurts to ask. I said, you know, can, can we exchange on this like $2 under the current market? She's like, well, yeah, but why would you want to do that? You'll have a lower cash price. I go, oh, yeah, that's all right. I'm good with that. You know, but it was, then they agreed to it. So it was, you know, helped me with obviously margin call relief, but give me well in the market to give me some equity to offset the corn side. And you, the thing is, you never know. Like Scott said, know the rules and then don't be afraid to ask to play within the rules. And if you have the relationships with the buyers and things and they know your problems, they'll help you out. Sure. I mean, you know, sure. They, 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 if they have the where for all, they'll, they'll usually help you out. And, you know, I've been told a lot of times, you know, uh, it's not our company policy to do that, but, you know, we, we probably do it this time. So mm -hmm. I think the rules are sort of made to be broken sometimes. I mean, yeah. company policies and things like that can be bent. Uh, anyway, I, I just, I, I, I'm amazed at, after the 06 and 08 debacles, so to speak, if you want to call them that in the grain business, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of stuff that was unearthed that, um, uh, people weren't, people had stuff priced way out there, big futures positions and everything. And I, I, I don't know, I, I sort of feel like priced positions and, you know, there's, there's exceptions to everything, but I don't really like to price positions because, if I want to buy myself out of it, it becomes a little more complicated with the futures where if I just need to ad adjust a basis and uh, uh, this year I was buying some meal and, and uh, you know, I, I owned it at a number and I could buy it in at a lower number. I was just waiting for the people to not ship me my cars and I could buy the meal in cheaper. But if it, I had that price, it would have been really complicated. But, you know, I just said, hey, why don't you just forgive me those cars you didn't ship, just take it off the contract. And, you know, I feel like I made a couple of dollars, you know, just because they didn't fulfill their side of the contract. And they knew they were out of, uh, you know, out of compliance on the contract sure. and were willing to do something about it. So. All right. So, Scott, another thing you've done in, in uh, your years in the business, whether from a user side or elevator side, you've bought a lot of grain. Uh, most most of it probably directly from farmers. Uh, what a... Uh, What's your take on the origination and, and how to how to be the most effective originator possible when dealing with farmers? Yeah, that's uh that's something that uh the industry this year has or not this year, but in this time frame, this this day and time, I guess I should say, they uh you know, everybody's trying to to offer uh fancy contracts and uh there might be some validity to some of that stuff, but uh I really, and this may just be a baby boomer talking, you know, the, the, but I just don't like to complicate life. And uh, uh, my relationship with farmers, I have some good friends that are farmers, and I just, I just, uh, I feel like they need help. Uh, 
I have I've traded a lot more grain than they'll ever grow in their lifetime, you know. So so I, I just feel like they need to know some things. And what the funny thing is is that if you're buying grain, you know, we've always said it's not so much what you pay for it, even though that's important. It's it's you know if you run out and you starve a bunch of chickens or hogs or whatever you got, they're gonna fire you. You know, and so I, th- I think that a lot of people who are focused on, you know, hey, the price, you know, they don't realize that uh, they don't realize that sometimes the price isn't the most important thing in the, in the business. But, uh, you know, I always get tickled with farmers that tell me that, uh, uh, you know, just anything you want, you know, we're just trying to work with you. We're, we're just doing just anything you want. And I always I always joke it's like everything I want as long as it fits with your schedule you know because I need corn Christmas week what about Christmas week you know and it doesn't matter I that's my line is what about Christmas week oh we take the month of December off you know oh okay well you're not willing to do everything I want you know at that point but then I have farmers that certainly will you know they're the go-to guys they they work whenever you need them to work what do you what do you need me to do Scott you know that's that's the guy and I had one guy come in uh uh, one day and he said built some new bins outside of town and he said I'm going to keep them full and anytime you you need corn I've got it and I was like what you know and he said I'll always keep them full I'm just not selling mine it's always because he was really close and 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 I was like oh you know I, I won't that's just funny and then I I probably emptied those bins three or four times a year you know and he he knew it and uh he uh he was uh he wasn't a farmer though he was uh he was uh a bond broker and he just was farming several thousand acres uh for the fun of it but he kind of came out of an uh he he knew he needed to be the guy that was my supplier he wanted to be my go-to guy when I was in trouble and I paid through the nose a lot you know for for that corn you know but he uh he he was one of those guys that really uh, really was the guy that I'll do anything you want and uh, he'd come and take me to lunch and pay for it it's just kind of strange but a different relationship. But, um, you know, going through the years and, and, and I, I, I always, uh, I've thought back of what makes a successful farmer. And, and I think I've come into something you don't hear much. I think farmers ignore cash flow. I think they don't mind going months without any cash flow. You know, like when they need to pay a bill, they might sell a little bit, but, uh, I just don't, I think they, they just ignore the cash flow thing about what they can do with that money, uh, in the wintertime. And, uh, uh, you know, the guys I've, I've, I've traded grain at two or three different elevators. And of course I've bought a lot of grain for feed mills and stuff. And I've seen the best, most, when I say best, I mean the most profitable farmers are the guys that turn their money into cash at harvest time and they don't own bins. And, and, uh, you know, I used to go to the, um, I used to go to the, uh, FSA websites and see who was, had the most, uh, government payments in the County. And I decided that's the, those are the biggest farmers, you know, and it, uh, a relationship with them meant a lot more than a relationship with 20 other guys that are on the other, other end of that, you know, so I wanted to cultivate those. And I, so I got to know those guys and they were completely different than most of the farmers and and most of them didn't care at all about 
taking care of grain during the year or trying to get premiums. What they were doing was they were trying to sell their grain and then, you know, go to the seed company and try to prepay for stuff with that money so that they could get a discount. And they really pushed the, pushed the pencils and uh, almost to the point of uh, frugality, I think is the word, you know, and, uh, uh, we used to joke there was uh there were some guys one time they we thought they were so frugal that they uh they probably just went home at night and turned the lights off and looked at the wall you know because <laughs> <laughs> but i mean they pinched pennies and and but but they never said oh you know if if um if you'll give me the spread you know and a nickel more you know for jfm then i'll be glad to I'll be glad to wait and hold this grain for you and everything because they knew that, you know, they'd get 10% off their seed or something. It was worth a lot more than holding that grain. And, of course, as an elevator, buying that harvest basis was what I wanted too. And mm -hmm. and uh, I just love those guys. But but they were the most profitable. Right. Yeah. And. And it wasn't with the, it wasn't like oh you know you worked in an elevator that one thing I I've worked at several elevators you know and I have seen what what's I know hundreds of elevator operators and I, I I would I would venture to say that the most profitable farmers turn their money into cash as quick as they can and I think that bears out with what you and I have seen Jason just the short time we've been in a business that's seems counterintuitive maybe to the industry at large that there's it's very counterintuitive that there's yeah. got to be some some secret thing well that's the secret is turn your grain into cash as soon as possible that's I, it i have a good friend and I, and I'll, I'll use his name i don't i think he's retired uh now i know he's retired he may get back in the end he's not in the grain business but he's a he's a good he's, he's like a turnaround artist for companies and he uh in fact he he worked with uh with your father Roger, uh, at, uh, and, uh, some, and he, uh, they would buy companies and they'd send him out there to turn them around. And he says the number one, the number one trait of a successful company is they can generate cash is cash flow. And, uh, uh, he taught me that I, we got to be good friends and, you know, did a lot of recreational things together. And, and he, you know, we'd sit around the campfire backpacking and he'd explain cash flow to me. And of course, he didn't know anything about the grain business, and he, he, I'd start trying to relate this stuff, and I'm thinking, hey, wait, that's true in the grain business too. The guys that can produce cash flow, and 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 keep it coming all the time, you know, get rid of those interest pay, you know, get rid of that the interest payments, and use that money to to uh, to prepay for stuff to to make, you know, just use your money, use your money all the time, use it, get it, get it back go find something else more profitable, you know, to, to get it in. This, is, this seems like there's a business mentality over the last 36 years that if I hold grain, I'll make more money. This doesn't work that way. You know, it's better to just forward contract this stuff. and Right. Not even have been. I mean, not even have been. But you say that out in the industry today oh, or yeah. social media, you just get to ride it. Like, oh, yeah, I don't need bins. If you, okay. I, like, I like to badmouth the government. Again, I think a lot of these guys got in these problems because the government guaranteed 2% money on bins, you know. And, of course, we know guys that, that built the bins and like, well, why did I do that? You know, and so then they turn themselves into a commercial elevator because – because <laughs> they didn't know what to do with with the bins that the government encouraged them to do you know it's crazy in in most most endeavors people love to get rid of costs people love it find find a way to lower my costs i'm going to do it guess what quit paying 
they don't look at it as cost to hold grain, but it is a cost. It's a huge cost, especially if we're going to build bins to do it or we're going to pay somebody fees to hold it, uh, interest on money, ability to, you know, prepay for things, all sorts of Hey, but uh, they didn't pay the government any taxes. (laughs) But, you know, I think that's the reason there's been so much engineering of, of, uh, for lack of better words, sophisticated contracts, all these other marketing alternatives, because people aren't obeying the simple rules of the game and turning the grain into, into cash as soon as possible. So in light of that, of having not done that, now we've got to invent all these other ways to try to recoup this stuff which does nothing but add costs and guarantees nothing. Don't ever let your banker or your accountant run your life. It's the worst thing you can ever do because the accountant is going to try to keep you from paying taxes and your banker just wants his money back. So it, neither one of them work really good for you. So I just, I just think that it's, uh, I see so many people, well, my accountant said this. Well, it's like your doctor telling you that, you know, eating cereal is good for you. You know, eat some whole grains. Well, the, that's coming out now. That's not true. <laughs> you know, eat eat cows. <laughs> that's what you should eat. <laughs> eat your grain through beef. Beef. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. You eat, it's okay to eat whole grain as long as it's been processed through a, through a cow. Don't Absolutely. eat the food that your food eats. Yeah. <laughs> Don't eat <laughs> exactly. the food that your food eats. <laughs> you're, 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 that's right. It's true. This has definitely been a interesting conversation and a, a fun conversation, if I will say so uh, myself, and I will. Um, you just did. So I'm, I'm trying to tell the truth, man. That's all I do over here. Anyway, we're going to try to wrap this one up to keep you guys under that 30-minute mark and uh, pick back up on another podcast. We want to thank our guest, Scott Hardy, for joining us, and uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to join us for the next one. That's right. So uh, I guess for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. And we thank you for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out. Out.